Welcome to the Vulva Diaries with host Dr. Amanda Selk, bringing you the 101 on vulvovaginal health. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Jennifer Bradford, who's a gynecologist in Sydney, Australia. She has an exclusive vulvovaginal practice and is in a tertiary care referral center. She is also the co-author of the clinical handbook, The Vulva. Hi, Dr. Bradford. How do you do? It's nice to be here. So today, we're all going to talk about surgeries for patients with scarring from lichen sclerosis and lichen planus. Do you want to talk about what kind of surgeries get done? Well. I think the point about if we discuss lichen sclerosis first, the thing about labial adhesions with lichen sclerosis is that they're avascular and it's almost as if the two epithelial surfaces are opposed and just separated by a fine line of largely avascular scarring. And so I have discovered that one only needs to divide the fine avascular scarring between the epithelial surfaces. You don't need to incise underneath the epithelium. You just need to divide the edges. But the point is that when you surgically traumatize skin involved with lichen sclerosis or lichen planus, it always flares. So the important thing is to get the disease visually under complete control first, and then immediately double the corticosteroid you've been using preoperatively in order to manage the postoperative flare. And this postoperative flare can be very unpredictable. And so I see these people weekly following surgery until I'm sure that the improvement is stable. Do you do the surgeries under local anesthetic or do you do them under general anesthetic? Posterior fusion can be done in the office under local anesthetic. And I always put long-acting local anesthetic in the epithelial edges after I've finished the division of adhesions. Anterior fusion is more problematic because, especially in multipara, you may encounter a lot of varices and any surgeon who does cyst to seal repair will understand this. And so I always recommend that anterior fusions are divided in the operating theater for that reason. Do you use scalpel or laser or? Oh, only ever a scalpel. I use what in Australia would be called a number 11 blade, a fine tipped pointed blade that allows you very good control And often when you start incising these, they often just fall apart under your finger after you've made the initial incision. And so the important thing is that you only need minimal amounts of pressure with the blade on that point between the epithelial surfaces on the scarring. And it usually comes apart very easily with minimal bleeding. Now, the difference is with lichen planus that lichen planus adhesions are often far more vascular. And that's an even bigger reason why you need to get the lichen planus completely controlled preoperatively to minimize that bleeding. So how do you decide which patients to operate on? Because I find a lot of people think it's a cure to their disease, which of course it's not. And there's obvious ones when, you know, someone can't pee, right? (laughs) Yes. That one's an easy one. But who else do you actually choose to operate on? 
I only operate for functional reasons. I never operate for cosmetic reasons. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that a lot of adhesions, when you first see the patient, will in fact stretch and dissolve with medical treatment. Now, I assume this is because the most recent scarring has not yet cross-linked. And so that's another good reason why you must get the disease visually, not symptomatically, but visually controlled with medical treatment because a lot of these women then do not need an operation. So I say to the patient, they have a functional problem because of their lichen sclerosis or lichen planus. Usually the functional problem, of course, is dyspareunia. And I get them completely visually controlled and then see if they still have a functional problem. So that's my criteria for surgery. Do you ever operate on the people who are just upset? They can't see their clitoris and think it doesn't work anymore because it's buried? Clitoral adhesions, because of fusion of the clitoral hood over the glands, is one of the most difficult procedures to achieve successfully. In fact, Andrew Goldstein published many years ago two cases where he did division of adhesions of the clitoral hood over the glands in lichen sclerosis for the purpose of cosmetic improvement. And as well as using super potent topical steroid postoperatively, he also put a stay suture into the clitoral hood to keep it off the glands in order to get it to heal without refusion. And I think that points to the difficulty of doing this procedure. Now, my experience with any division of labial adhesions has been that there's always going to be a small amount of refusion. It doesn't matter how careful you are or how compliant the patient is. And the women who have cosmetic concerns about clitoral fusion, I personally do not do that procedure because I think they're never going to be satisfied with the result. Now, there is the particular case of women with clitoral lichen planus, and one of the classic presentations for lichen planus, of course, is clitoral abscess, and that's because they have smegma which accumulates in between the glands and the clitoral hood, which then becomes secondarily infected. Now, this is a rare but very difficult clinical decision about whether to operate in the interim between the abscesses to try and prevent another abscess. My personal feeling is the surgery is so fraught with difficulty that one should not operate, but I'm sure there must be argument about that. Yeah, I think these patients always get complicated when they need surgeries. Because as you say, there's lots of recurrences and then, you know, how they got to a point where they needed surgery in the first place and the medical management and if they're reluctant. I think the important thing is that most of these women, especially with lichen sclerosis, will not need surgery if you first completely control the visual disease. I can't emphasize that too strongly. Yeah, I totally agree. It's super, super rare. I find that we need to operate on people. Yeah. Now, sometimes medical therapy can be optimized 
by the use of a dilator used to apply the corticosteroid ointment. And often this, especially in obese women, can make it easier to soften and stretch any fusion which would be amenable to medical treatment. Okay, but I don't ever operate to do flaps or I operate to incise the native tissue. I don't think it's necessary. I understand that other people do it, but I personally don't find it more helpful than my standard procedure. We talked about mostly about lichen sclerosis and the rare lichen planus that causes labial adhesions. What about when you get vaginal agglutination? Vaginal adhesions in lichen planus are a whole different ballgame, partly because you don't know the extent of the vaginal adhesions because if you can't feel any vaginal tissue above the fusion on vaginal examination, you don't know how extensive it is. The second problem is that, as I've said, lichen planus adhesions tend to be quite vascular and Again, you don't know what would happen when you operate. And the third problem is visceral injury if you do operate. I personally get these procedures done by a gynecological oncologist. That's my personal preference because I think the risk, especially with lichen planus, of visceral injury is really so great. However, putting the operative issues aside, usually one requires sharp dissection with lichen planus in the vagina, but The two factors which I find limit an optimal outcome are firstly, patient compliance. It doesn't matter with lichen planus how much oral agents you give them because all of the people who have lichen planus vaginal adhesions require, in my opinion, oral high-dose prednisone to cover the inevitable post-operative flare. But they also require topical corticosteroid applications on a dilator twice daily, often for more than a month. Now, the women I see with this type of dreadful lichen planus adhesion are often so emotionally traumatized that they are just not prepared or emotionally incapable of complying with this sort of post-operative regimen. Now, I don't see a way around this. It doesn't matter how beautiful the surgery is. You have to put something in the vagina. Now, other surgeons, of course, use vaginal forms, which they leave in for several days. But my experience is that you need to keep on passing a dilator at least daily and usually second daily in order to manage the post-operative flare and get a good result. That's the first problem. The second problem is that... Vaginal adhesions mean that there is paravaginal muscle dysfunction, especially in the vaginal vault where the hip rotators attach posteriorly onto the anterior surface of the sacrum. So these women frequently have pain with sex, which is not just caused by the adhesions, but also is related to hip rotator dysfunction. And so fixing the adhesions may not fix the dyspareunia to the extent which the patient finds acceptable. And so there are many unknowns when one operates on these women and one has to make sure that they understand that I cannot guarantee an outcome that they will be happy with. And I know this sounds 
rather negative, but I, I think these women are so desperate that you have to be honest with them. So here, I don't have oncologists that will do it. I have some of the pediatrics gynecology surgeons who will make neo-vaginas for people with vaginal agenesis are sort of my go-to. The difference is that tissue is not inflamed when they're doing the neo-vaginas, but they're still very tough and they have the same very high recurrences if people are not super either having sex all the time or motivated to dilate, et cetera. Like, it won't work. So... It's very similar. And I always wonder, like some of those women can actually build an entire vagina themselves with dilating. So I, I'm always, again, it's a group where if they're not willing to do physio and dilate, it's, it's a tough group to operate on. Absolutely. And I think that patients need to understand that surgery is not a quick fix. And they've often been referred by their GP on the assumption that it's a quick fix. <laughs> and this is the problem. So there are a number of women who are prepared to have different sort of sex if you can make some sort of coital pouch, which isn't the whole length of the vagina. And I have a patient like that. She's in her 20s and she has accepted having this type of sex. Right. And it's always individualized with each person. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Do you have anything else you would like to tell us about surgeries? I think surgery is easy for labial adhesions. What's not easy is the post-operative management. And as I've said in my um, published review article on this, you need to do the careful post-operative management in order to make it a success. And there is a not just an immediate refusion risk because of the flare post-operatively, there is a longer-term refusion risk up to three months. And so careful post-operative evaluation and treatment is essential because it's not the surgery that's the difficult piece. It's the patient compliance and follow-up post-operatively. Do you want to give us an example of one of your post-op regimens for labial adhesions? What sort of treatment usually get? Okay, so now the problem here, Amanda, is that one of the corticosteroid preparations I use is not available in the USA. <laughs> you know, we, ha we have listeners from all across the world. I know, so I, I know, but I'm just, <laughs> this is, okay, so let's just say I'm using betamethasone ointment and she's using betamethasone ointment, the diprazone. Yeah, dipropionate, yeah. Yeah, but not in the optimised vehicle. Just let's say this woman preoperatively has visually stable disease on betamethasone ointment once daily. We're talking about an ultrapotent steroid for people who don't know. No, no, betamethasone, not in optimised vehicle, is not an ultrapotent. It's a superpotent. So it has, the, on the relative potency basis, it's about a number six. So 1% hydrocortisone is one. Clobetazole propionate 0.05% is 12. Betamethasone ointment is six. So I double the potency and I use it twice a day. So this woman postoperatively will be using clobetazole propionate 0.05% ointment twice daily. And then I will see her every week until I have decided that the disease is not visually flaring, 
because you can see it when it visually flares. It goes white and starts sticking together again. And then I reduce the dosing of the clobetazole to daily and I keep on seeing her weekly. And then I gradually reduce it depending on the degree of post-operative flare. And usually after about four weeks, it's stable. And after about two months, most women have been able to be got back to their preoperative corticosteroid. Now, I should explain here that my colleague, Professor Fisher, and I are advocates of long-term visual suppression of lichen sclerosis, and we do not use symptoms as a guide to treatment. We use visual suppression on examination as a guide to treatment. And so these women have been told that they will require daily corticosteroid at some dose to keep their disease completely suppressed for life. And so we never stop the corticosteroids. We reduce it once the inflammation has settled postoperatively. We reduce it to the preoperative dose. No, I think it makes sense. It sounds very similar to when you first diagnose somebody. That's right. You go back to hitting it hard and then calming it down. Yeah, yeah. So I think that was very helpful, practical talk on surgery. So thank you so much for talking to us today. It's very kind. I'm very happy to do it. Again, that's Dr. Jennifer Bradford, who's a gynecologist in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. 